Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome here in the worship space. Welcome online. We are all thrilled that you are here and joining us as we continue into our upside down message series looking at Jesus's Beatitudes. And so uh, I've heard a lot of really great comments so far about how uh, folks are finding uh, these messages, these lessons uh, about helping us develop a biblical worldview as opposed to the other types of worldviews that we may uh, try to develop. Uh, and it seems like right now there's so much going on in our culture trying to divide people, to segregate, to separate. And that's not at all how God wants us to see each other and see the world. He wants us to rec recognize and realize that we are all part of his holy and forever family. And so all of those things that we use to delineate and discriminate uh, are in opposition to the way that God designed us and calls us to live into life. And so as I've been thinking about the things happening in the world and how we need to develop a biblical worldview, I wanted to go through these Beatitudes because the way that God would have us see the world oftentimes seems as though it is upside down from the way that the world functions. And today we're going to talk a good bit about, uh, about strength and power and how we can misunderstand those ideas and those thoughts and what it really means to live uh, with an attitude uh, that is reflective of who Christ is, what he accomplished in our lives, and what he calls us to do farther. But before we dig into that, I want us to remember how we got to this point so far by looking at what we talked about last week. And this would be a great time, if you've not done so already, to pull out the uh, insert in your worship guide, your info guide, uh, that has our follow-along notes, or on the Hope Church Plus app, which is available to you. Uh, all of the follow-along, fill-in-the-blank notes are uh, here to help you get the most out of this morning's content. And there is a way, of course, to share it at the end, uh, at the bottom, I should say, uh, if there's something that you would like or think somebody else would benefit from. But you'll see last week we talked about blessed are those who mourn, and we talked an awful lot about grief and how grief can leave us broken. That parenthetical statement below that says only God can bring wholeness from our brokenness, and that's part of our faith life, that's part of our faith journey, is that when we feel this brokenness, when we feel like we are separated and just disintegrated, that God has this ability to bring us back together and hold us together, and we need that in our lives, don't we? When we see so much brokenness in our own families, and our own hearts, uh, and in the world in which we live, we need to call upon those hands of God that seek to reunite and uh, just reanimate us to live for the Lord. And then you'll see below that a statement that says, you are called to be a conduit of comfort. We looked through our exploration last week, and blessed are those who mourn that they shall be comforted. There is a biblical mandate to, to actually allow yourself to be comforted. And that can be hard for some people sometimes, can it? Especially those who are used to being caregivers. It's hard to be care receivers. And so Jesus said there's a mandate that you have in your life to actually allow yourself to be comforted. Why? Because that's part of what God is doing in you. But it's also what God wants to do through you. And so the comfort that we receive becomes the comfort that we share and the way that we are called to live in this idea of being a conduit 
of grace. And so hopefully you found opportunities this past week to allow yourself to be comforted when you felt difficulty, and then to allow and enable yourself to be a comfort for someone else. So this week's Beatitude comes from Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, and we're going to read it first out of the New International Version. You'll see it on the screen very simply. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, I want us to go through three basic thoughts on meekness or what meek means. First of all, meek actually does not mean weak. Meek does not mean weak. This is one of those things, I believe, that we can oftentimes misconstrue and confuse in the Christian teaching to be meek. This does not mean that we are to be weak. Unfortunately, a lot of people in the world see Jesus as just the little lamb of God who just sits back and and allows things to happen. That's not at all how Jesus was. Now, Jesus was described as the lamb of God, but he was also known as the lion of Judah. So Jesus could be meek, but he was fierce in his meekness. Fierce for what? Fierce for justice, fierce for righteousness, fierce for the way that God had designed and called us all to live. Meekness does not mean weakness. And unfortunately, we have a difficult time differentiating those two. One of the things that we see happening in culture, and this is throughout human nature, right? Throughout human history, human nature and human history, is we have this idea that might makes right. That we want strong men or strong leaders or, you know, someone strong to go and pick up the fight for us. Someone who can speak words that we can't speak, who can challenge forces that we can't challenge. And so we have this thought that might makes right. And as a result, we can find ourselves falling in and following along things that are antithetical to the way that we are called to live. One prime example of this was on Good Friday, when Jesus was betrayed and handed over to be crucified. Do you remember there were two people that Pilate presented in front of the folks who were gathered there in Jerusalem? It was Jesus and whom else? Barabbas, that's exactly right. Pilate gave the people the choice to choose Jesus who was meek or Barabbas who frankly was not. Now, in the context of what happened this entire week, Jesus enters into Jerusalem, riding in on, the, on a donkey, right? Palm Sunday, as a proclamation that God, as the King of Kings, is entering into this holy land in a posture a position of peace. And just a few days later, Jesus is being handed over to be crucified. Why is that? Because of expectations, mainly for some people. And it had two different hands. We could talk more about this, but probably better wait for Palm Sunday and, you know, Holy Week next year. But the idea is, is that for one thing, Jesus had really upset some people in his overt expression of trying to get the folks to see the world through the eyes of God. And it really, really gained traction when Jesus flipped the tables in the temple, right? At that point, the Pharisees knew they had to eradicate that threat. But the other thing was, is the people who had this sense of occupation and oppression by the Roman occupying force 
They wanted a leader who was going to come in and, and not just turn over the tables, but turn the tables completely on the whole idea of power. And they were disappointed that Jesus did not go beyond just turning the tables, but turn the tables on Pilate and Caesar and all those occupying forces. And so when the people looked at Jesus and Barabbas, Barabbas was someone who was a rabble rouser. He had a very strong personality, a very strong charismatic message. And the folks looked at Barabbas and said, maybe he is going to be the one who won't just turn the tables over the temple, but turn the tables of power in our region. And so they decided, you know what? Even though we were singing his praises, Christ's praises on Sunday, we're going to turn to Barabbas because we think Barabbas will fight for us. We think Barabbas will do the work that maybe we're too afraid to do ourselves to get our hands dirty and doing. So we see this imbalance in the way that the people who were right there in the flesh in Jesus's ministry understood power. The point that ultimately was made through Christ's giving of himself over to be crucified and his victory over the grave was that power is so much more important than just who can speak the loudest, who can flex the biggest muscle, who can garner the largest following. Power has to do with transformation. That's the message of the gospel. The book of Romans says, we're not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power to change our lives. Power therefore isn't about, again, who can speak the loudest, who can garner the biggest following. Power is about the ability to change hearts and change lives in God's desire to change the world. And so meek cannot mean weak. Unfortunately, we see so many instances and accounts where meekness is denigrated because it doesn't meet our own expectation of power. And so if power is all about transformation and power is the power that God gives us that resurrected Jesus from the dead and resurrects us from the doldrums of life, we have to recognize that this all comes down to the power of God's nature and character, which is what? Someone say love. Love, that's exactly right. It's the power of God's love. And therefore, we must keep a posture of love. Keeping a posture of love is similar to the whole idea of being a conduit of grace. We're talking basically the same type thing. It's receiving that love of God so that we ourselves can dedicate our lives into sharing that love of God. And unfortunately, there are some who are going to see that and equate that with weakness. But is there any greater power in the world than love? What does love call us to do? It calls us to, as we're talking repeatedly throughout the series, to get ourselves out of the center of our own understanding of the way the world works or should work and put God right there in the center so that we, in keeping a posture of love, we receive the love of God so that we can share the love of God. We experience the love of God so that we can express the love of God. And so what does that call cause us to do? To follow the example of Jesus who didn't consider his equality with God something to be lorded over people, but to submit and surrender and service and sacrifice, to put yourself out there in a way that seems antithetical to the understandings of power in the world, but to allow the power of love to be that which changes you 
and you use to change the world. We've got to keep a posture of love because love is the greatest force, right? Faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Exactly right. We've got to keep that posture of love that we can receive the love, therefore we can give the love. But there's something else here that I want us to look at when it, as it gets into the original Greek that talks about how we are to take this posture and turn it into our worldview and allow it to form and transform the way that we live forward. And so the word for meekness in the original Greek is praeus. And in my southern, I'm just going to call it Prius, right? Because I don't exactly know if, that's, if I pronounced it properly. You can chuckle. Uh, I should have done that earlier. But uh, Prius is Greek for rooted in humility. Now, that's interesting. Meekness is rooted in humility. And maybe you think about the hum- humility that certain people have or Jesus have, have, has. And think that, again, that means weakness. No. As I've said before, God's greatest power is exhibited in his restraint. That the love of God that has all the cosmic power and ability to form, transform, change us, and change the world with us, by us, through us, for us, it all comes down to humility. And so we can misunderstand humility just like we misunderstand meekness. These two work kind of hand in glove together, don't they? What's that wonderful line that I quote from C.S. Lewis every now and then talking about humility? Is that humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Last time I used this in a sermon, I got fact-checked by one of the, uh, the major uh, social media or companies, uh, it's the one that has like a blue square with a white letter F in the middle of you know talking about. I got fact checked saying that this was mostly false. And I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. I, I, I want to just get enraged in my own hubris, but to have a social media company tell me that I'm misunderstanding what humility is, it just goes to show that the world misunderstands humility, right? Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. In other words, it's about recognizing that we want to be at the center of attention, center of the world, center of the universe, center of everything. And that's not the way that God wants us to live. God wants us to put him at the center and see that he is like the hub of a wheel and spokes are all coming into the center And the closer we get to that center, to God, the closer we also get to each other. And so in order to live a life of humility, in order to live a life of meekness, we have to understand that the power of love that changes and transforms is the power by which God calls us all to live. Loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. right? We have to keep that posture of love and not misunderstand that that power of love is a weak power because the power of love is the greatest power in the cosmos. That might be appropriate for an amen as I go back to my notes. But still, the reality is, is that if we are living in a posture of love with God at the center and the central idea of our life is loving God with all that we have and all that we are and loving our neighbor as ourselves then this isn't weakness at all, is it? It is the greatest power there is. It is the power of creation, the power of recreation, the power of forgiveness, the power of life and living through eternity. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that those who believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We think about this idea of God so loving the world or the earth 
The next part of Jesus' statement in this beatitude can sometimes cause us to wonder, what in the world does it mean? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What this means about being able to inherit the earth is Jesus is speaking to his audience there in the beginning of his public ministry that is experiencing that oppressive opposition of the Roman forces in their world, in their life. And Jesus is telling them, I need you to get your focus off of just this earth and dirt and rock and onto God. So the idea about inheriting the earth means you can be saved right now. You don't have to wait. The kingdom of God is accessible to you. The kingdom of God is not dependent upon earth or soil or geography. The kingdom of God is in your midst. A little bit later, Jesus would be challenged by religious leaders who are always looking for ways to trip him up. And they would come and they, were, they would ask him, you know, can you tell us about the kingdom of Jesus, kingdom of God, Jesus? And Jesus says, the kingdom of God, you got to think about this differently because it's not something you can just point to and say, oh, oh there it is. Or, or here it is because the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's this miracle of God's glory that penetrates and permeates our relationships when we do what? We put God at the center and we allow the love of God and the love of neighbor to be the powerful force by which we live our lives. But that means we got to put God at the center, get ourselves out of it. We've got to understand that this power of love that will change our lives and be used in our lives to change the world is a power that is all about completely, completely service and sacrifice and surrender the way that Jesus himself lived his life. That is the power that Apostle Paul talked about that changes the world as the power of transformation. This isn't just might makes right. This is beyond a power that anyone could comprehend. And so this would be radical news for those who are hearing that message for the first time. That you are mistaken. You get the whole power dynamic upside down if you think that a military or a governor or a king or ruler has any control over you because you think in terms of God's kingdom being just soil or dirt or brick and mortar, the kingdom of God is actually in your midst. It's a relational power that we're calling you to be a conduit to, to, to receive that comfort so you can share that with others, but also to receive that love that it may animate your life and deploy your life and to make a difference in the world. So let's do as we've done so far. Let's look at the Beatitude, Matthew 5, 5, out of the message version. Because it gives us some insight into something that will help us if we are paying attention to motivate and transform our lives. Jesus says, as the way this paraphrase is mentioned, you are blessed when you are content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. When you read that in the message version... You don't really see, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth anywhere in that, do you? But in this paraphrase, you see that you are blessed. And remember, blessed means a statement of utmost bliss. So you are in a position and a statement of utmost bliss when you are content with just who you are. No more, no less. Let me ask, how many of us in here in this room are content with ourselves, just the way we are, no more, no less. I don't see any hands. Are there any online? 
There's always something that I like to change. I like to be taller, more muscular. I'd like to have better eyesight now. It's amazing what a year can do, right? I'd like to be able to run faster. I've only been able to break a 30-minute 5K once. I want to do it again. All these things that I wish, that I wish were different about me. I've always been this way. When I was about nine or 10 years old, I was really struggling with my self-esteem. And my mom bought me a book called The Enemy Called Average. And the idea is connected back to this idea that God created you to be awesome, to be fearful, to be amazing, to be wonderful, to be awesome. And we are denigrating the creative, powerful work of God that made you and calls you not just good, but very good. We are negating that when we look back at the creation and say, man, I I wish you made me taller. I wish my hair was straighter or softer, right? I wish I had better eyesight. I wish I was faster, you know? God dealt with this, I believe it's in the book of Job, and we see it throughout the scripture where God calls and challenges people who want to call out and challenge God. Does the clay reach out and scream out to the potter saying, I wish you would have done me differently? No, so why do we do that? Why do we look at God and say, I wish you would have done this with me? And maybe we are even guilty of doing the same, but saying, I wish you would have done this with him or with her or with them or the Republicans or the Democrats or the Floridians or the Californians, the politicians, the preachers, the shopkeepers, the innkeepers. We're always judging, aren't we? As a way to compare compete. But God wants us to live a life of contentment, just who you are. Now, I think it also is worth being said that God loves us enough to meet us where we are, but too much just to leave us there, right? God's whole power is about doing what? Transforming us, right? That's what we talked about. The power of love that changes and transforms us. We allow God to be at the center of who we are. And we are keeping ourselves in this posture of love. God wants to transform us. And so being content in who we are, no more, no less, is to see our lives through the eyes of our creator who made us with a plan and a purpose for our lives. And say, when you give your life over to me and allow me to dictate, to determine, and to direct the path and the course of your life, you will find a contentment that is beyond anything you could have ever imagined, beyond anything you could have ever purchased or achieved or acquired on your own. There is nothing like knowing who you are in the heartbeat of heaven that beats for you. The same heart that was broken as it went to the cross, as it paid the penalty for our sinfulness and our rebellion, but the same one that said, it is finished. For God's wrath has been fulfilled. The task of salvation is complete. You, my friends, have entrance into the kingdom of God. And it's not just soil and rock or brick and mortar. It is a family with God at the center of who we are, calling us to be closer together. Not judging, not comparing, not competing, but welcoming and opening and saying the power of love, the power of transformation, transformation is the power by which we are called to live. And so we return to this idea of meekness and in inheriting the earth that we can be saved right now. You see this meekness is found in a confident contentment that you are an amazingly created child of God. 
and so is your neighbor. So is your spouse or your parent or your child or your coworker or the smelly kid in class or the person that talks with their mouth open or puts pineapple on pizza or whatever it is that annoys you, right? They are an amazingly created child of God. I always use the pineapple pizza thing because Tiffany loves it. I mean, it's, it's fine to me, but, you know, always a little way to just kind of get a little, get a little edge in. But meekness is found in the confident contentment that you are amazingly created and a child of God. We started this series talking about the difference in acceptance and approval, right? We can accept people for who we are. We don't always have to approve everything they do, but we can accept. Why? Because Christ has accepted us. One sin would discredit and disqualify us from God's grace if it weren't for his grace and mercy. One sin. But Christ died for all of them. So why do we hold certain things against other people and say, because you do this, you wear this, you go there, that you are not worthy of the love of God? You see, that's power from a might makes right position and principle. Not a power transformation that comes from posture of love, rooted in humility, radically so. So we need to find this confident contentment in who we are and provide the grace, space, and place for other people to also be confidently content in who they are and who we are in their eyes. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, again out of the message version, says, forget about self-confidence, it's useless. Cultivate a God confidence. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate a God confidence in our lives and in our lives for other people. That can be so stinking hard, can it? To cultivate a God confidence. But what does a God confidence mean? It says that God is the creator, the redeemer, the sustainer of the world. God is sovereign even when things go in ways that I would not prefer for them to go. God is still in control. God is still in charge. God is still in the transforming business. And we miss so much when we gauge and judge everything, the totality of everything, by these little snapshots in time. This wasn't in my notes, but I'm going to mention Noah really quickly. Because I think God's telling me to do so. One of the things that's interesting about Noah is that as Moses tells us as he writes Genesis, that Noah was a man of righteousness in his time. In his time. Noah was a man of righteousness in his time. Does Moses say Noah was a man of righteousness in your time? Or Noah was a man of righteousness in the 1880s? Or 2030s, it says Noah was a man of righteousness in his time. It's God giving us this freedom to be who we are in the time and the place where we are with the faith that he is in charge. He is in command. He is in control. And the thing that's so interesting about Noah, because you know God told him to build a boat in the middle of the desert because it was going to rain and no one had ever even heard what rain was. Go back and look. That's one of those amazing little nuggets. God says, I'm going to send rain. And Noah's like, what's that? Right? It might as well be saying, I'm going to send Starflight to you. And I said, a little mermaid, but the idea is, you know, 
I'm going to send something that you've never seen, never understood, never even begun to comprehend or to contemplate. I'm going to send rain because God had always irrigated the earth from below. And so God was asking Noah to step out of faith and do something he'd never seen and never done and never even thought plausible because he was a man who was righteous in his own time. Noah got ridiculed by the people who watched him build that boat over the course of years. What's the flood? We live in the desert. This rain thing you're talking about? What's that? Noah didn't have his confidence in himself. Where was Noah's confidence? In God. Because Noah was a man who was righteous in his time. One of the things that we are doing wrong in our modern cultures, judging people throughout history based on our current standards and morals and mores. We judge everybody based on how we see the world in 2022. And it's destroying the fabric and the social compact. It's obliterating it. Some of that may be by design, I don't know. But when we think about Noah being a man who was righteous in his own time, this also applies to you and to me and all of those areas where we get it wrong so frequently, but recognize and realizing that God's plan is to take us where we are to develop and cultivate a confidence in him that he is not going to allow us to fall victim to our own sense of self-destruction, ultimately and eternally, right? But he's going to be with us, molding and shaping and leading and guiding us all the way. So we've got to make sure that when we are prone to want to put ourselves at the center of the universe, center of the world, center of everything, that we get out of that and recognize we are here but just a blip on an eternal radar. And therefore, we need to cultivate a God confidence. We need to cultivate a Jesus-centric lifestyle. And this means we've got to have more Jesus and less me. Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area there, you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for him. And we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.